Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining me today. This is part two, talking about are you spiritually mature? You know, I've discovered that you have no choice about growing old. It's going to happen. No matter what you do, you're one day older today. Are you going to be one year older very soon? You can't help but to grow old. It's going to happen. But growing up, on the other hand, that's optional. (laughs) It seems like there's a lot of people that grow old but never seem to grow up. And so if you're listening to me today, I know that you want to grow up, okay? So we're going to talk about what is involved in growing up spiritually. We started yesterday talking about this subject, and we learned, first of all, that I grow up by being positive under pressure. What is it that gets under your skin, right? Can you be positive even though something is under your skin? James says this, Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Why should I do that? Because James says we know what's going on. We know that the testing of our faith develops something. Perseverance. And perseverance gives us the ability to finish the work so that we may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. You see, there's only one way to grow up. That is being able to endure that pressure. Think about kids. When they're growing up, they want things going their way, and sometimes they get ticked off if things don't go their way. And unfortunately, many times parents will coddle their children in their immaturity instead of teaching them to grow up. You remember when you were a kid, if if you didn't like the way the game was going, and you owned a football, you say, that's it, I'm taking my football and going home because I don't like the way this game is being played. Now, that would be called a very immature thing to do. And hopefully as a parent, you said, now listen, uh, things aren't always going to go your way. You may, well, may as well suck it up, buttercup. You need to learn to hang in there and don't quit. Don't walk away just because things don't go your way. So we grow by being positive under pressure. James says, blessed is the man who perseveres under that trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Now, let me give you an extra bonus under this point. I learned from this point that if you are not interested in growing, it's probably because you would never been born again. James says that you're going to receive a crown of life. Who is that given to? That's given to believers. You can't get the crown of life if you've never been born again. And if you are born again, you are blessed and you will persevere under trial. So number one, we grow up by being positive under pressure. Number two, we grow up by being sensitive to others. James says, if you really want to keep the royal law found in scripture, you love your neighbor as you love yourself. You're doing right being sensitive to your neighbor by loving them the way they need to be loved. Jesus said this, right? He gave us a command and he gave us a commission. The great command is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. I am immature if I cannot see beyond my own nose about all the troubles that are around me. Mature people say, I see somebody else struggling I'm going to love them, and I'm going to help them as I would like to be helped. So we grow up by being positive under pressure. We grow up by being sensitive to others. Uh, Now, before we go too far, 
I concluded the broadcast yesterday saying there are three types of faith. And now, faith is essential if you're going to grow up to be stronger and more mature. There is dead faith, right? Dead faith touches only the intellect. I guess you could say it's, it's a theoretical faith. And we have an example of that, and James gives us an example of that. And he says, you got a brother or sister, and they, they are without clothes, they, they don't have daily food, and you say to him, I wish you well, or you could say, I'll pray for you, keep warm, keep well-fed. But if you don't do anything about their physical needs, what good is it? And James says in the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by actions, is dead. So James drives home the point that those who have dead faith They substitute words for deeds. It's all theory. It's dead. It's of no use to anybody. Dead faith touches only the intellect. And then James says, there is not only dead faith, but number two, there's demonic faith. Now, demonic faith involves both the mind and the emotions. Let's look at James 2, 18 and 19. But somebody will say, Well, you have faith, but I have deeds. Show me your faith without your deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God? Well, good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. So here we see demonic faith involves the mind, involves the emotions. These are people that are are doing something, right? They're being good for goodness sake. They're thinking that I'm doing a good job. That shows that I have good faith. But here we discover that the demons believe that too. You know, I think Satan is not opposed to doing good things. Just as long as those good things don't bring glory to God. Just as long as those good things are taking to the next step of having that dynamic faith in Christ. Uh, So we've learned so far there's demonic faith, there's dead faith, but then there is dynamic faith. Dynamic faith involves the intellect, the emotions, and the will. Why we do what we do. James covers this in James chapter 2, verses 20 to 26. He says, you foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did, and the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God, and it was credited him to righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab, that prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and then sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds 
is dead. So dynamic faith involves a change of your will, a change of your mind, a change of your emotion. You are radically changed because of the faith that you have in Christ. And it's not coming to you just alone. Faith that saves is the faith that you need to be saved, but it is accompanied with good works. Now, the good works don't save us, but they're evidence of the fact that we are growing. Well, we grow up by being positive under pressure, by being sensitive to others. And then number three, we grow up by managing our mouths. Uh, James says, you know, we all stumble in many ways. James 3, 2. But if anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man. Now, maybe a more accurate word there would be a mature man, able to keep his body in check. So James is driving home the point that if we manage our mouths well, it is a sign of maturity. Hopefully you teach your kids that just because something runs through your mind doesn't mean it has to come out your mouth. Uh, You learn to taper your mouth by controlling what you say. Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any negative talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs. Now, maybe you're having trouble managing your mouth. Many years ago, I had trouble managing my mouth. I just, for some reason, just would like to, my sarcasm was out of control. Uh, my, My language was a little bit out of control. And so I stumbled across this verse because I've learned there's a verse in the Bible that will address every single problem that you may face. I don't care what it is. Do you have trouble lying? We are told in Revelation 22, 19, that all liars will have their place in the lake of fire that burneth forever and ever. This is the second death. Well, when I had trouble lying, I memorized that verse. And I was reminding myself uh, that as a believer in Christ, as a follower of Christ, part of the maturing process is that I no longer speak lies. I speak the truth. Ephesians 4.29 tells us not to let any negative talk come out of our mouths, but only using words that are helpful in building up others. I mean, James takes it so far as to say, if anybody considers himself to be religious, and yet he doesn't keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself, and his religion is worthless. In other words, I can think I'm more spiritual than I really am, but if I can't control my tongue, the only one I'm deceiving is myself, and my religion is worthless. You know, Jesus reminds us that one day everyone will give an account. It's on the day of judgment for every word that has been spoken. You know, when you became born again, Romans 10 9 and 10 tells us that if we declare with our mouth, speaking with our mouth, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So Paul is reminding us, conviction begins in the heart, belief starts in the heart, but it doesn't stop with the heart. Your heart is convinced that God raised Jesus from the dead And it's actually declared through your mouth. 
We are told in the book of Psalms that we are to give praise to the Lord. We are to proclaim His name. We are to make known among the nations what He has done. You see, part of the maturing process is that we are able to manage well our mouths, using that little tongue to bring encouragement, to bring blessing, to share the gospel wherever we go. There is a fourth mark of spiritually mature people. Number one, they're positive under pressure. They're sensitive to others. They manage their mouths well. But number four, we grow up by being peacemakers, not troublemakers. James 4, James says, what is it that is causing all these fights? Where do all these quarrels come from? And he answers his own question. He says, don't they come from the desires that battle within you? You want something, you can't get it, and it's a battle that you have within you? You see, the peace that God wants us to have is a peace that comes from within, not our ability to create it, but the ability of the Holy Spirit to allow us to be content, to allow us to bring peace wherever we go. I used to have a sign in my office that said, everybody brings joy to this office. Someone they walk in and someone they walk out. Do people say that of you? That when you walk into a room, there is more peace because you walked into that room? You know, when we look at peacemakers, the peacemakers, therefore, are not simply those who bring peace between two conflicting parties, but peacemakers are those who are actively working to make peace, bringing about wholeness. The Old Testament talks about a sense of wholeness that is found in a relationship with God. It constitutes a well-being. So peacemakers are not those who are hoping that the atmosphere is peaceful, but they are working to bring that peace. They are working at bringing wholeness to a group of people. Winston Churchill's wife knew how to speak the truth in love. In the early days of World War II, the stress of the war began to take its toll on Winston Churchill. As you know, he was the prime minister of England. Well, his wife, Clementine, she grew very alarmed. A member of Churchill's inner circle told her that Winston Churchill's sarcasm and his overbearing manner was starting to discourage his inner circle of leaders. Well, Clementine decided to speak the truth in love. And so she says, my darling Winston, she began in a letter, I must confess that I've noticed a deterioration in your manner, and you're not so kind as you used to be. And now she cautioned that in possessing the power to give orders and and to sack anybody and everyone, that he was obligated to maintain a high standard of behavior, to combine kindness, and if possible, an Olympic calm. She reminded him that in the past, he had been fond of quoting a French maximum meaning, essentially one leads by being calm. She continued, I cannot bear that those who serve the country and yourself should not love you as well as admire you and respect you. But she warned, 
You won't get the best results by rudeness. It will breed either dislike or a slave mentality. So she closed the letter with these words. Please forgive your loving, devoted, and watchful wife, Clementine. Well, apparently the letter got through to Winston. The very next day, the people reported that he seemed remarkably at ease. He lay in bed, propped up on a big bed, and he gazed at his adoring cat, Nelson, sprawled out on peace at the foot of the bed. Winston Churchill had a change of heart. He began to speak the truth in love. He began to be a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. You see, as we grow, it ought to impact those that are following us. You know, when we think about conflict, there's really only two sources of conflict. James even talks about these two sources of conflict. Source number one is selfishness. James says, you know, you want something, so you scheme to get it. Uh, You will even kill to get it. Why are you doing this? He says, because you are jealous of what others have. But you can't get it, so you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you do ask, you don't get it because your motives are wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You see, if you're a selfish person, you are setting yourself up for all sorts of conflict, wanting to have something that belongs to somebody else. There's a second source of conflict, not only selfishness, but I would call it judgmentalism, being the judge of all, right? James chapter 4, James says, brothers, Do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and one judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? You see, every time we get involved in judging somebody else, we are setting ourselves up for a major source of conflict. In the book of Proverbs, we learn that pride leads to conflict. Those who take advice are wise. Oh, I'm praying today as you listen to this broadcast that maybe you'll have your eyes open to the fact that uh, you've been kind of selfish, and it's time for you to stop scheming and stop working behind the scenes and and waging war against others. Ask God for what you need, and He'll give it to you if you need it. But make sure that you're asking with the right motives, because if you're only asking to fulfill your own pleasure, it is a sign that you are very selfish. Listen, the Lord wants to give us good things. If those good things will allow us to glorify Him, He's not going to give us good things if it's only for self-pleasure. Maybe you're listening to today and you say, man, I'm kind of a judgmental person. As a matter of fact, I stopped going to church because I judged everybody at my church. I thought they were all a bunch of hypocrites, and I thought I was better than them. You know, pride leads to all kinds of conflict, but those who take advice are wise. Can I say to you, maybe you dropped out of church. I love the commercial that I saw not too long ago. It was for cornflakes. And the whole premise of the advertisement was this, taste them again for the first time. 
In other words, cornflakes are still being made. It was one of the very first cold cereals to be made by Kellogg's. Kellogg's cornflakes. But all these other cereal companies started to uh, sell more cereal than cornflakes. And, and so they had this campaign, taste them again for the first time. Try them again for the first time. You'd be surprised how good cornflakes taste. You'd be surprised at how big of a blessing a church can be in your life if you try it again. Go with an open mind and an open heart, and you discover that although the church is a highly flawed institution, it's God's only recipe for bringing the gospel to the world. It's God's only hope for our country and our only hope for our community. Listen, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Why don't you come and be part of it? I told our congregation Sunday, as we're planning for another membership class, I said, why don't you stop dating the church and come part of the family? You know, I remember when my wife and I were dating. You know, there's a big difference between dating somebody and getting married to somebody. You know, as long as I was dating her, I didn't have a whole lot of uh, commitment. You know, if I didn't want to date her anymore, I didn't have to date her anymore. But once I said I do, I also said I don't, right? When I said I do, if we were married, I said I don't date anybody else. And my affection is with her. I'm devoted to her till death do us part. And I know we're living in a day and age where people are apprehensive about being committed to anything. But, you know, we are committed to certain things. Isn't it amazing that we will commit to a 30-year mortgage and think nothing of it, but then we don't want to commit to being part of a church? We're commit to a whole lot of things. I know people that have a stronger commitment to the contract they made with their cable company than they do to the church. Can you believe that? We make a commitment. And then our commitments make us. Well, let me move on, okay? We're talking about maturity. The last point that I want to cover today is the point of we grow up by being prayerful and by being patient. Let me just review where we've gone so far. We grow up, number one, by being positive under pressure. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials. Listen, when trials come your way, you may not at the beginning of that trial know why it is there, but I can tell you based upon the authority of God's word that that testing is designed to develop your faith. Number two, we grow up when we are positive under pressure. Number two, we grow up when we are sensitive to others, realizing that we are to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Number three, we grow up by managing our mouths. James says we all stumble in many ways. If you're never at fault in what you say, you're a perfect man, able to keep that whole body in check. Number four, we grow up by being a peacemaker instead of a troublemaker. And then lastly, number five, we grow up by being prayerful and patient. James says, Be patient then, brothers. Now, you only have to be patient until the Lord's coming. Then he says, as you know, we consider blessed those who persevere. Now, think about this for just a moment. The people that you most highly respect are probably those who have that tenacity about them that they persevere. You know, a few weeks ago, I had somebody visit our church that hadn't been to our church for years. And they says, 
I am so glad, Pastor Corbett, that you're still here after all these years doing the same thing you do every Sunday. He says, I remember you get up there and preach, and at the end, you always stand in the back and shake hands and hug on everybody as they leave. For decades, they have seen this, right? And uh, blessed are those who persevere. In James 5.16, James says, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. You see, sin keeps us mature. Confession is the first step to stop being mature. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the power and the kingdom and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Can I pray for you? Can I pray that you'll be stronger in your faith and that you'll grow up to be more like Christ? Shoot me a text message at 252-267-2365. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening. Join me tomorrow as we have another great day to broadcast the truth of God's Word, and I pray that you will indeed find hope for your heart today. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.